You are listening to a podcast providing education on how you can spot, report, and prevent trafficking. Through survivor-informed content, our team of survivors, industry experts, and community leaders are committed to increase survivor identification beyond 1% as the first step to ending child sex trafficking in America by 2030. Join us for real facts, real stories, and real ways you can be on watch with us. Hello, my name is Brittany Dunn. I am the COO of Safe House Project, and I am joined today by my co-host, co-founder, and CEO of Safe House Project, Christy Wells. When Brittany and I founded Safe House Project in 2018, it was because we wanted to make a difference in combating trafficking. We must all do our part to help understand the national landscape and the importance of really aftercare safe houses for survivors. We are so excited to introduce our good friend, Allison. Hello. Good to be on here. Thank you for joining us today. As we get started, I always love to kick this off with just a little bit of a personal background on you. What inspired you or moved your heart to step away from corporate America and really invest in the fight against trafficking? I was made aware of trafficking and actually in 2013, I was going on a mission trip to India and was made aware of that trafficking exists over there. At the same time, the Lord was pulling my heart out of corporate America to start a for-profit company, knowing that I was supposed to take 50% of my profits to combat sex trafficking. During that time of launching that company, the Lord really, first he showed me it's right here in your backyard in America. Yes, India needs help, but start in your backyard. And through that process, really looking at it from a funding perspective, just analyzing the landscape and then Houston and just recognizing the need for the, the depth of the anti-trafficking work and re recognizing the different needs from awareness, education, immediate response and rescue, safe homes, just understanding that whole landscape from a funding perspective. But I had no idea that actually I would be called to start Rescue America, and that was the beginning process of it. When you were kicking it off with Rescue America, what were some of those gaps you identified and what kind of drew you out of, I guess, for that for-profit business and really launching a nonprofit? What was that pivotal moment? Very quickly, I recognized on the Houston landscape, and this was about five years ago, there were a lot of groups doing awareness and outreach to the victims, and then there were long-term safe homes. And there was no way to get the women out of their situation, assess and stabilize them, and then pair them with that best long-term home that served their specific demographic. So really, it's an it was an education piece of, you know, the general public thinks, oh, well, law enforcement, that's their job to rescue. But understanding the mindset of a victim, not trusting law enforcement or having, having very bad situations with law enforcement, that was the huge gap in Houston. At the time, I also had met an organization out of Atlanta called Out of Darkness. And Jeff Shaw, he said, Allison, I'll give you whatever you need to help launch this in Houston. We started as a 24-7 rescue hotline. And again, had no idea that I was really supposed to run the organization for about two and a half years. Really tried, just was trying to give it away because I didn't realize I was actually supposed to steward it. <laughs> That's fantastic. And I love that, you know, you, you slowly found your way more and more in that position of leadership, but it's just a mantle you wear with such grace. Can you explain to our listeners just a bit more about Rescue America and what your mission is? 
Absolutely. So again, we were founded because of that gap in that landscape. Our first, what we say our flagship service is a 24-7 rescue hotline. And this is very different than the national hotlines. The national hotline we say is great for calling in for tips and services and everything. But what makes our hotline unique is when a victim calls into our hotline, and she is ready to leave the life, she's ready to leave her exploiter, we actually help strategize with her on how she's going to leave that exploiter. Sometimes it may be in the next couple hours, sometimes it may be in 48 hours. Really that strategy comes into play. Once that is in place, then we partner with local shelters on the ground for a bed. We locate a bed in our partner shelter, and then we actually deploy an exit team, which is a volunteer man and woman that will actually go pick up the survivor from a public location and transport her to that safe home. That is our rescue hotline. And we are doing, you know, obviously we started as Rescue Houston, but we are Rescue America now. We are doing rescues all over the country. And it's been an amazing process that our team has organically developed for actually the, for the country. So that is our first flagship product. Our second one, we quickly realized, obviously, the level of trauma that the victims come out with. How do we, if we partner with shelters on the ground that have beds, how do we bring them kind of like a, an emergency room, right? How do we address those most common variables that cause them to go back to the life? How do we stabilize them and then um, help them get into that best long-term care program? That's where our emergency assessment program was created. And it was created again to help keep them from going back to the life. So we address mind, body, and spirit in that program and different therapeutic modalities. Just our whole goal is stabilization. We don't dive deep into the therapy. We just want to want to help them get stabilized, get out of that fight or flight mode, teach them how to identify and ma manage their triggers so they can go on to that long-term care home. No, that's incredible, and it definitely is a desperate need. We see the gap in emergency services being one of the biggest barriers yeah. to getting into those long-term safe houses. Without that step, often there isn't that, without that resource, then they don't even have the opportunity to, you know, get that first safe night of sleep get healthy food, put good things into their body and really understand what are the options that are available to them as they move forward. That mentorship is very significant. I know that during COVID, you all have had that kind of explosive growth because the need has been there to really serve survivors throughout um, the United States. This question wasn't there, but do you mind kind of giving us a little bit of insight into what COVID has been for you all at Rescue America? Yeah, actually COVID for us, the Lord really used it to help us show us the next part of the vision and how to actually take the program nationwide at a lot quicker pace um, than originally thought. What we learned in COVID is we can do a lot of things virtually and that actually the survivors, are they prefer doing their therapeutic sessions online with that therapist. But there is a, a sense of felt safety that the screen provides that the in-person doesn't. We've had great success, and now our whole emergency assessment program can be completed virtually. That allows us to port that program into safe homes across the country for that emergency immediate stabilization. What would have taken us seven to eight years, we can probably get done in two years. So COVID to us has been instrumental for our innovation and, and moving forward. That's great. And maybe one follow-up question for our audience on that. 
Can you, I know that you all work primarily with adults. Um, do, do you all also work with minors at all in that? Or is that really because we've seen the telehealth be very successful for adults and some kids, but not all kids? I just want to give some context to our audience about which population you're really serving. Absolutely. Yes. So the majority of the clients that we serve are adults. Now, if a minor calls our hotline, we immediately engage law enforcement on that call. And then we have partners in the Houston area that we refer. So there's two that serve minors. We immediately refer them to those safe homes. However, if there is a minor that was trafficked and actually comes back home to live with their family, they can virtually participate in our emergency assessment program. We've tried it once or twice, but because it is now virtual, as long as they have a safe environment to live in, if a family support system, they would be able to participate in our program. Well, shifting gears a little bit, but you know, you've been in this space for quite some time. I think all of us came into this with our own preconceived ideas about what trafficking was. You know, you and I are similar in that we've both seen it on the international scale and had that rude awakening that it was really happening in our own backyard. So for you, what's kind of that one myth that you always want to want people to know about trafficking in America yeah. as you as you're talking to our listeners or talking to individuals? That it doesn't look like in America, it doesn't look like what it looks like internationally. It's not the kidnapping and forcing into a car and shipping them to a different state. It's actually the groomers, right? And the pimps making them fall in love, right? Luring them in to actually make them believe that they're this person that loves them and they've been waiting to meet this dream girl, right? And then that falling in love and coercing them to convince them to sell themselves and that deep manipulation and control it's hard for a lot of people to understand how that could happen, but it's such a real, real thing. They are master deceivers for women right. and bring them into the trade. Yeah, absolutely. I think if we're all a little bit honest, sometimes I look back on those, like those first loves. I mean, you think about the things that you probably like unknowingly could have gotten yourself into if you had just found the wrong person and you just don't always know who it is that you're starting to date and now with kids developing these relationships or adults online and really creating that trust bond in a space where you're not seeing all those other cues that you might learn in person, by the time that they even meet that person, they've already kind of made a decision that they can trust them, which just breaks down a lot of the barriers that maybe used to be there. Yes. So as communities become more aware of trafficking, what opportunities do you see for individuals to support trafficking survivors? Yeah, so one of the things that the pieces of Rescue America that's pretty unique, and because I did not have a plan and I honestly did not know what I was doing, it was all God bringing one puzzle piece at a time and putting them together. He clearly gave us a platform and a blueprint to administer the church to step on this platform to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We have a unique four ways that volunteers can serve in our organization besides praying or fundraising. The first one being is our phone bank. We actually have an outbound telephone call system where people just place an outbound telephone call to a woman that has been posted online. They're just calling and saying, hey, I saw your ad online. If you want out of the life or know someone that does, here's a hotline number to call. So it's a very simple but very tangible way. Sometimes they do get to speak to the women and speak life to, into them, pray for them, 
or leave them a message that sometimes will be kept for six months and then they decide to call our hotline. So that's really our, our number one way that we get out our hotline besides partnering with law enforcement, hospitals, and other strategic partners. Then our second way is hotline advocates. So when our hotline rings, the first call, the first response is actually a volunteer. They are equipped and trained. And when that phone rings, they have the script in front of them to ask questions. So they take in all the information. And if that victim is ready to exit the live, they then pass that information on to our exit strategist, who then takes over um, our exit strategist as a staff member. It's that first point of point of call. Calls are forwarded to their home phone or cell phone so they can volunteer from anywhere across the country in four-hour shifts. So that is our hotline advocate. Our exit teams are a man and woman that are actually trained to go pick up a survivor from a public location and transport them to that safe home. You're just basically receive a text message when there is an exit happening. If you can respond to it, you're, say, you're saying, hey, I can take this one. And then you're deployed and guided by our exit strategist and that whole process of rescuing and taking her to a safe shelter. And then finally, we have our exit companion. This is a new volunteer position as we're growing nationwide and performing rescues across the country. Obviously, we're putting women on flights and buses. If they have to be in a hotel room for a night or two while they're waiting for their transportation, we pair them with an exit companion. And this is a volunteer who just goes and checks on them, brings them a meal, brings them a little care package in the hotel, and just is their corresponder from the Rescue America side while they're waiting for their next step. That's incredible. I mean, it's always, we always get that question. Like we can't, a lot of individuals can't go just volunteer in a safe house or there are parts of this industry that aren't as hands-on as maybe a um, food bank or a homeless shelter. And that's really challenging because people want to put their hands to something. So the, the ways that you mentioned, there's a variety, whether they want to be in it, you know, personally in person, or if they want to be on the other side, but I'm sure that comes with some level of vetting for you all. What are kind of those markers that you all work on from a security side to protect sure. your volunteers and protect the survivors? Absolutely. We have a whole online vetting process. So if you would go into our web website, rescueamerica.ngo, and you click join a team, there's a whole application process that you go through. And then that is sent to our volunteer mobilization team. They review that. And then an interview is performed by one of our team members. And then a background check. Once all of that is clear, then they are required to do a two-hour training with us before they actually step foot into that volunteer position. A lot of times, volunteers will kind of dip their toe into the phone bank because it's very safe, very easy. It's a phone call, right? And you're given a script. But once they start participating in that, then a lot of them think, okay, hey, I could maybe do the hotline or, hey, I could be an exit team member. So the phone banks are a great way for um, people just to get involved, kind of dipping their toe in and just really learning, learning as we go, right, about how to serve this population, how to love this population, how to communicate to where they're going to understand that, hey, we are a group of people that just care about you and we want to help you. I love that. And I love that equipping, equipping volunteers to, to engage and to just have a heart for this and, and how to serve the survivors in a way that they will receive, I think is, is really incredible. So what is really one message that you would like the world to kind of hear about this issue? Yes, that we will always have victims to rescue unless we attack the demand side which means um, understanding the effects of pornography on our culture and 
how our culture is highly sexualized. When you understand that the demand starts typically with pornography and having an addiction, and then for the same effect, they go have to go purchase um, a woman. So because pornography is just normalized in our culture, right? It's just like, oh, that's just what you do. The reality of it is recognizing the effects of pornography on the brain and that it is like a drug and it is addictive and that you can be watching pornography today and say, how could somebody go by, buy a woman or buy a child? And in six months, you can find yourself in that position because of the addictive nature of pornography. So I think it's highly important for even businesses and corporations to understand when you put an image out there of a woman who is provocatively dressed because you want to attract people to buy your product, you are really participating in the highly sexualized culture that has created this epidemic in our country. So that is the biggest push that we as a society have to shift, which is going to take, you know, seven different, they say seven different areas. We've got government, we've got business, we've got religion, we've got healthcare. Is it healthcare? What's that other two? Oh, arts and media and entertainment. Like all of those industries have to recognize it and shift the messaging to really take a, to take a shift, to make our culture shift away from being so highly sexualized. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better. I love that. Because yes, we have to understand that that this is a business for many and it's an illegal business and they're, it, you know, but it is driven by supply and demand. And at the end of the day, that supply is there because there is that demand. We must understand the complex nature of how a legal industry intersects legal industry and that pornography, not for, not obviously not child pornography, but adult pornography is legal and it has lasting effects on our community. And at this point, it really has become a public health crisis for many. And until we understand that and recognize its effects, then we're going to have a hard time eradicating it. But I think the other message that we want people to hear is if you are struggling with pornography, that it is an addiction and it is something that there are resources out there for you to get help. And we know that there are great programs that you can go through and that it's also just like in all this, it's not a judgment thing. It's trying to come alongside one another and support each other getting through whatever it is that might be a current stumbling block or challenge. And we encourage you to look at those resources and really step into that healing journey if that is something that's part of your part of your current story. And the enemy would want you to stay under shame in that if you are struggling with an addiction to pornography. The enemy wants you to stay into shame and wants you to think that you can't come clean with it, right? But the reality is when you do bring it into the light and you get the help, like you, you can be set free. So don't let the enemy talk you into keeping it in the dark, really bringing it to the light and finding those programs and resources that can help you. Yep. Yeah. So what is one message that you want survivors to hear? That's a great question. Wow. Really, truly that our, our whole goal at Rescue America, we know that God did not design and create you to be used as a sexual object, right? God's creation of sex is wonderful in the context that he created for in marriage, right? The reality is, is you can find yourself in these situations, whether you have a trafficker or a pimp or not, or you've been lured in or coerced, God's best design for you is not to be selling your body and being used for sex. Sometimes, again, because we live in that culture of like, oh, well, this is just normal. You know, my story of dating the world's way for years, even though I was not trafficked, right? That was still a, a form of bondage 
that the Lord wanted me to free me from. At the end of the day, we are just to help you to take, take our hand to help you to come out of that and to understand that there is a huge purpose that God has designed you for. And we want to help you find that, to walk in that. And our part in that is helping you get out and stabilize you. So, but at the end of the day, we're all about you knowing God and um, who he created you to be. That's so great. And I love just your heart again for survivors and, and helping them know that they have dignity and value and worth as a human being and as a child of God and not as a commodity. And I think that's just the message that all of us just want to you know, have beating like a drum, just louder than any of the other noise that tells them who they are and what they um, are worth. But is there anything else that you want to share before we sign off? I know we've we talked a little bit about on watch and how important it is for communities to be on watch. What else would you like to share with us before we leave? One of the things that, and I remember this feeling when I started learning about trafficking in my own city, the feeling of being overwhelmed and the reality of the darkness that's right in front of us. There can be, I just remember times going home like, oh my gosh, this is so massive. Like, what, what do I even do? Where do I even start? Right. I always tell people just to start praying because God's going to show you what he has for you to do in fighting this. And typically it's one little step at a time and it's just responding to a phone call or it's going to a training and then you meet your next connection and then he takes you on the next step. So it's kind of like this little trail that he takes you on for you to find really what he has planned for you to do in this fight. And I always say, start with prayer, don't be overwhelmed and God will show you each step of the way. That's great. Yes, and he definitely does. He it's a he has woven a very interesting journey, I think, for each of us on this line today, but one that we are privileged to be in and really humbled, I know, to walk alongside and be part of stories of restoration and healing and hope. And that's really where at the end of the day we all get to be on the hope side of a dark issue. And I think we're all thankful for that opportunity. As we sign off today, where can people find you if they want to connect with you? Yeah, go to our website, rescueamerica.ngo. All the information will be on the website of different ways you can get involved, specifically with our organization. You can reach out to us. We are expanding to different cities. We are excited that we're well on our way for that. If you have a group of people in your city that are really wanting to do something, feel free to shoot us an email at info at rescueamerica.ngo. And we'll start the conversation about potentially being bringing boots on the ground to your city. Awesome. Well, thank you for everything you and your team are doing, your army of volunteers that make all of this work <laughs> possible. And we're just thankful to know you and be part of a collaboration of organizations that are really working to end this. Thank you for being on watch and we hope you have a great rest of your day. Absolutely. Thank you, ladies. Honored to be here. Let me leave you with a quote from William Wilberforce, who once said, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again that you did not know. Each of us has had a defining moment in our life where we're faced with the choice to either engage or look away. We hope you'll subscribe to our podcast for future content about how you can make a difference in ending trafficking. Thank you for listening.